Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe or why you believe it. This podcast is a way for us to explore those things, what we believe, why we believe them, and who knows where we'll end up. But it's about being on that frontier together. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we want to look at kind of a cultural movement going on within the church um, currently. One of the things that uh, has been obvious to anybody who's working in the church or even slightly paying attention is that the last couple of years has changed the landscape of the church, has changed really quite a bit. And yeah, we've talked about some of that, which is uh, the evangelical marriage to Donald Trump and to politics in general and how that's utterly disgusting to us, and really how it's just a, such a shame. In fact, just as a side note, I watched a very interesting video this past week where somebody was making a very compelling case that evangelicals were sick of the Jesus they were worshiping and decided to f- worship somebody else. Sounds right to me. And it was just so like compelling, because uh, it required, Jesus requires that we do self-reflection and put others before ourselves, and here comes another man that just says, hey, say what you feel, however you feel, who cares who it hurts, you just do what's for you, and that was very attractive. Also, give folks. me all your money, you dummies. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. he also said that, but you know. And then he inspired another man to do that in this weird tech thing this past week, which just... I know, uh, I give up. I give up. Yeah. <laughs> But we don't want to talk about that today. What we want to talk about is really sort of a positive reaction to what's going on in the in the church in general. And it's forcing a lot of people to re-examine and take a look at their beliefs and where they're going. And the general process that is being used is one that we've talked about on this podcast a couple times, which is called deconstruction. And deconstruction is something that both you can do intentionally if you're an academic and you want to do the academic thing with uh, your papers and so forth and actually follow through with the process, or it's just also something that we're doing naturally. And um, just as a quick reminder, deconstruction can be seen as looking at a piece of a puzzle uh, critically or looking at a piece of the puzzle outside of the narrative and the system in which that piece of the puzzle fits. So it's kind of like wondering if this Lego piece can fit into another uh, design or if it could function better somewhere else. It's just a critical look at a piece or even the whole system altogether, but certainly the pieces of it. And we're doing that a lot. People are questioning a lot of different things. We've spent plenty of time talking about what that looks like in terms of how to do that process and um, really to encourage you to do that and tell you it's okay to do that. But today what I want to do is examine four reactions to that process or four ways in which people go as they engage in deconstruction. And my hope in doing this is just to help bring some clarity to your own thoughts. Uh, Most of the people that I know who listen to this and who have talked with us are people who are engaging in deconstruction no matter what. It's just kind of a given. Most people who are younger than me are doing that. I was born in 82. And of course, some people older than me are as well. 
So we're just going to assume that you're doing that. And if you want to know more, you can look at our uh, Who's Afraid of Postmodernism podcast episode. Well, honestly, if, you, if you're still with us on this podcast, you, you are at least on board or are experiencing this anyway. I mean, that's kind of what this whole thing has been that we, you know, uh, part of that, I mean. Absolutely. So for this episode, we're just going to engage each of those four reactions that people have and maybe urge you towards intentionality as you discover that these are ways in which you do things. So the first one is perhaps the easiest to understand. It's also the one that most of us do not resonate with, and that is a reaction against either deconstruction as a process or what happens as a result of it. Also known as being a poop head. <laughs> and this is uh, generally I, the way I see this work out is that you get hardcore obstinance from people of even approaching the questioning of a certain thing. It doesn't even have to be a controversial thing. It could be like racism, mm -hmm. like something we should all be kind of on board on, but I don't know. That is a controversial thing, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but it could be as simple as, I don't know. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's, when confronted with something terrible, like obviously terrible, it's when people kind of shut down and refuse to go there, make any changes, rethink anything, and loudly proclaim that everything is fine. <laughs> it's kind of how I think of it. Um, usually because for that person, things aren't so bad, um, or at least that's what they think. But that's been kind of my experience is like, la, 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 no, everything's fine. I'm going to shove my head in the sand and pretend the world hasn't changed, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and when you said it like that, what made me think is there's probably two types of people in this category. Those that are obstinate and, as you just said, um, close to uh, any possibility. But then there are also those who are so comfortable that they don't have to do any of this. Right. right. And frankly, there is a great deal of the church that's there. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um when I tried to, so we're going through the prophets in, in our church, and last week I made a very uh, scandalous proposition, uh, more declaration, that um, people outside the church are starting to look more like what Jesus wants the church to look like. <laughs> mm, I, bet that, I bet they love that. It does surprise them, like because they're not thinking about things, because they don't have to uh, rethink things or deconstruct, if you will, what we're doing uh, as a as a Christian faith, as Christian churches. That kind of statement does surprise them, and they wonder, like, what's he going on about? That's not been my experience, and so on and so forth. And so it's not like, uh, no, this is absolutely wrong. If only we will go back to the basics of fundamentalism, of word and sacrament ministry, or whatever it might be. That, that's the poop heads. That's the, the shitty people who do that. Um, I think a good portion of the people in this category are folks who just don't have to mm -hmm. and are kind of surprised that things are happening this way. And so they just kind of cling to what they know. Yeah, whatever it is has all, is working okay for them, or at least they've decided it is. Like I would argue that that may not be the case even for those people, but um, 
you know, whatever, whatever it is they're doing or have been doing or their culture or whatever, well, this works fine for me. I don't see any problems here. And, you know, or it could go the way of like, well, there may be problems, but it's their fault, right? Like it's, it's yeah. this group mm-hmm. or this person's or those people. I mean, you should never start anything with those people. Just by the way, <laughs> just stop that sentence, <laughs> abort it and get, you know, start again. But, um, that can be a like that hap- that seems to happen a lot you know well if they just did what i did or what what have you um which is then an excuse to not you know not change anything yeah. but i think for some it's not just you know obdurate um assholery <laughs> i think for some there's a lot of fear involved too and kind of like the shutdown is like a like a fight, flight, or freeze kind of thing. You know, like some people, mm-hmm. I think, do the fight thing where they're like, no, you're the problem, actually, or whatever, right? right? And then yeah. some people do the bury their heads in the sand. And I think some people just kind of freeze and shut down. Like, I don't have a paradigm for what you're talking about. It's terrifying. I can't admit that I might be wrong or contributing to harm or whatever. So I just don't do anything. Um, I think it kind of runs the spectrum from from those three. Maybe it varies from depending on issue or depending on, you know, context or whatever. But I think those that's kind of how a lot of people react. Yeah, I would agree. I think most people, I would say most good natured people, that's where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Even bad natured people, (laughs) they're kind of in the same place. Um, It's less likely in leaders. It's less likely, of course, in pastors and people who are trained because um, their fear comes uh, aggressively towards us. Um, But I think it's generally the case. Most people who I've worked with are like, at this point, after four years in, they're starting to see, oh, okay, so the reason why the church is failing has got little to do with the with um, us as people necessarily, or even the culture accepting Jesus. It's that we've built stuff around what Jesus says to do, and they can't really verbalize that, but they're starting to really see that, hey, maybe we should be doing things differently. Maybe we don't need a church. Maybe we don't need a pastor, this, that, and the other. So that's the easiest one to really get the mind around. Um, I would say generally this one's not intentional um, in the majority. Of course, with the aggressive, it's it's typically intentional. There, there are people who become you know social media warriors yeah. and all sorts of stuff, uh, and there there are those assholes in everybody's life where you bring up anything that's slightly controversial and then they just slam down the conversation and yeah some variation of all i know is (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there are those people there um my experience has been they're the loudest Mm -hmm. um even if they're not the most numerous Mm -hmm. and boy that's been a hard lesson for me to learn the last couple of years they seem more numerous than they are but i mean that's true but also they I think they do sometimes tend to have an outsized influence too, even though that because of things like, you know, the cancer that is social media or whatever, like, um, yes, they're not nearly as many as they seem, but I do think they get an outsized influence because of, um, their, 
you know, almost uh, neurotic need for attention. Um, but <laughs> yeah, anyway, I think it's, I think you're right that we sometimes spend a lot of time on a few idiots, but sometimes you have to, depending on, you know, what it yeah. is and, and all of that. So let's move into more interesting territory, which are the three ways in which um, people who are deconstructing the faith, either intentionally or not, where they typically go. And again, the first one of these three would be uh, more of a simple one to understand, um, but we'll unpack it. And what some people do when they look at the faith in general, when they look at the systems of theology, when they look at God, and they they do so outside of the system that they were taught or with a critical eye at the very least, is they just decide that the faith isn't for them. They just decide that they don't want to be Christians. They don't want to be even deists, agnostics, all those labels. They might put themselves into an atheist category or, or label there. Um, most of the time that I've heard atheists talk about, most Christians think of 90s atheists mm-hmm. who are very aggressive and uh, interested in in having their voice heard, which is all fine. Um, you know, I think that they make some very terrible logical leaps, but um, it was in a moment in our time where atheists were on the oppressed side of the um, yeah, culture. I was, was going to so. say we brought it on ourselves. Yeah, but nowadays most atheists are just like, huh, I could live without God. That doesn't change much in my life. And if pushed, then I might give some reasons for it. But and most generally, I just don't have a need for it. And most atheists, outside of the ones you'll find on the atheism subreddit, anyway, um, most of them don't give, don't really care that much if other people do, except when people use it to justify terrible things. But I mean, most atheists that I meet these days don't really care that I'm not one, right? Like they don't, they care when I, if I were to tell them that, well, they need to, you know, that they need to change. That's when they care. But it's not like when I was a kid and I don't know how real this was, but I had the impression that, you know, they were more militant out to get me kind of, yeah. and those people existed. But I think even in those days, that was more of a caricature than a reality. Probably. So too, you know, yes, people like Dawkins and Hitchens uh, existed, but I mean, they were selling books. Yeah, I exactly. Mean. They made themselves a lot of money off of, uh, off yeah. of that. So it makes me beg, or it makes, I think it begs the question, at least within a Christian context. I'm curious what you think. So if atheists don't care about us after they go through this process, or generally, yeah. Since we are doing a different way, we're not doing this way, we're not leaving, of course, the faith necessarily. But I do want to ask the question, should we care that there are atheists? Like if they go through a deconstruction, if they don't, if they look at the faith and they're like, ah, oh, that's not for me. I know we've touched on evangelism and so forth, but in, in light of this whole process of a cultural move that's going on right now uh, around rethinking the faith and deconstructing it, should we care? Should we care that some people come on the other side and say, ah, it's not for me? I mean, I think we should care, but not perhaps in the way I would have answered that question 10 years ago. I think I think we should care because it's largely our fault. And by our, I mean in the general sense, right? A lot of the people we're talking about here, not necessarily people who've always been an atheist, but I mean, the people who were a part of, you know, the Christian faith. And then as a result of whatever happened or happened to them, often um, they've decided that no thanks, not for me. I mean, I think 
that's terrible, right? It's not, they're not terrible. It's not terrible that like any choices they've made or that they're an atheist now, but it's terrible that that choice was made largely because of what we did to them. Um, And maybe that's too simplistic because there are people who, you know, who quote, leave the faith, but um, wasn't because of, I don't know, I was gonna say, but it wasn't necessarily because of trauma or whatever, but I wonder if that's true. Um, you know, well, it could be that we didn't prepare them enough to handle, like, this is the classic story. I tell people who are afraid of their teenagers going to college, they're like, uh, there's going to be some philosophy professor who dismantles or some science professor that dismantles the faith in one, one course. So I don't want to send my kid there. It's like, wait a second. How about you prepare your kid for that course instead of, you know. By giving them a robust understanding of reality instead of a, a narrow one. And yeah. so I think there's some something there, but not in the sense of, oh, we got to make sure they don't lose their faith type. Yeah, because approach. we also can't give people faith. We can't give it back or give it in the first place, right? I mean, that's not, I don't think that's how it works. And I don't think... I guess I would say that, so yes, we we should care about it, but not in the sense that we have to get them saved again, or that we have to, you know, if they don't come back to church, then that's terrible. I mean, I think, I think the bigger concern for me is we, quote, reach these people, not by convincing them that Jesus is real, but by trying to make amends for, as at least as that is possible, right? Some of the things that happen to people, I don't know that you can make amends for, right? But Mm -hmm. how can we help those people? How can we apologize and repent? How can we um, make right what was wrong? You know, as much as we can. And I think that's going to be a lot more important. And then, you know, God is going to take care of the rest of it. Like, like I said, faith doesn't come from an argument or anything else anyway. So however earnest I may try to convince somebody to be a Christian again, it's not going to do it. It doesn't matter how right. eloquent you are or, or any of that, I, I think. Um, so, yeah, I think I would answer the question of, yeah, we should care, but not because we have to make them Christians again as our main goal. Even if, sure, I hope that happens someday, but not because there's something wrong with them or they're in peril or, you know, honestly, in some cases, I wonder, this is going to sound strange, but maybe that's the best place for them to be for a while. You know, sometimes when you've been abused, you really do need to remove yourself from the situation. And if if God is not separate from that in your mind, right, if like some people, they say, okay, these terrible things happened, but you know, we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but faith is still there for me. Well, some people maybe aren't going to do that because of what happened. And and maybe if someone abused them, they convinced them that it was what God wanted, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so perhaps for a while or maybe a long while, I don't know, maybe that's the healthiest place for them to be. I think, I just think, I think we can trust God with that part of it rather than trying to, you know, start an evangelism drive whatever that means, wherein we yeah. make them all not atheists again. Well, and certainly, Ryan, 
knows this, the typical reaction from Christians isn't even a charitable, compassionate response. It is typically one in which they've drawn a line and say, okay, well, now you're outside and we're going to treat you terribly because you're outside. And yeah, so I want to make that clear too. A lot of atheists, they have that response or they have that experience from Christians after they leave the church. It's just... It's awful. Well, so often it turns into, un, like intentionally or not, probably often not intentionally, it turns into, well, what happened to you wasn't really that bad. Or, right. well, it's not God's fault or whatever it is. And it's like, yeah. I think about telling someone that who's experienced like so many different levels of trauma that have taken place. Like, I, you know, whether they've been abused and like physically or sexually or spiritually or emotionally or some combination of all of those, the last thing you want to tell somebody like that is, well, that, I mean, yeah, that's bad, but it's not like that bad, right? Or right. God can fix anything. Like what, and there's nothing yeah. helpful to say there. Um, I don't think other than uh, how can I help you? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way you phrased it. Um, and it's the way I typically think about atheists. Um, well, really, anyone who's not in the same boat as I am is that just happens to be where they need to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't suffered nearly the amount of abuse as others. Uh, the, the best I've gotten is the spiritual abuse that kind of crops up here. And I just thought of the phrase I just said, the best I've gotten. Yeah, I know, <laughs> uh, right? The most I've yeah. gotten is the spiritual abuse that we've talked about here. So I can't really resonate or relate with people who have had massive abuse. I, I can't imagine what that's like. The best I can say is I get it. I get why you would want to leave the faith. Right. I would, I get why you would want to leave God. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love this uh, phrase that I've heard a couple times. Um, I think Jesus is big enough for us not to need him sometimes, mm. maybe for a while, maybe scandalous forever. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that there is some sense in which Jesus doesn't leave us even when we do, but I don't mean that in the like condescending way or like, you know, too bad I'm here. You're stuck with me. As much as <laughs> right, like yeah. I think, I think God's love is that God still loves us and takes care of us regardless. Yeah, whether we ever go to church again, ever read the Bible again, or ever proclaim belief in Christ or any of it, and I, you know, I just think we give ourselves too much power because we like to do that. To be clear, just in case anybody needs this, Ryan doesn't because he he was crystal clear to me. Um. He's talking about Christians, the Christians who need that. Like yeah. one of the things that I always say is uh, Paul meant it when he said nothing can separate us from God's love. Well, but there's all these things, though, you know, see yeah. subparagraph nine, subsection two. Right, exactly. Four. Um, <laughs> I mean, he says neither life nor death, which means everything in between, everything that happens in life and in death and blah, blah, blah. Right. So that means unbelief. Uh, Christ's love is still there. Now, as you were very good to point out, that doesn't mean like this. there's this manipulative, like, oh, you're secretly a Christian, right. even if yeah, you're no, not. That's not what bullshit. I mean. Yeah. And 
certainly we we want to make that clear. Um, but we also want to make clear at the same time that God still loves every Everybody. atheist, everyone who leaves. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of the you know uh, that's kind of what we were taught. And I'm sorry that so many people have forgotten what they taught us. But you know, I, I really believe it that God loves everybody regardless of anything. And you know what? Some of the, my best conversations about faith have been with atheists. Have been with people who don't believe in God and they just have a whole new perspective on things and it's like wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Um and some of the most transformative healing conversations have happened with people who identify as atheists because they're still disentangling themselves from the church sometimes. Mm -hmm. And to watch that happen in real time is just sometimes really amazing. Right. And, you know, God brings other ways of into everybody's life. Like, you know, they may never go to church again, but God brings people into their lives. And not again, not as a, like a, like a fishing expedition necessarily, <laughs> yeah. just because other than however God does that for everybody. But I just mean like, yeah, I think, I think we've been clear enough to say it's not God being like, well, fuck what you want kind of, kind of thing <laughs> right? Yeah. as much as it's uh, nothing ever really separates us from the love of God. Nothing. Turns out right. nothing means nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's good that we're trying to be clear. I think that speaks to the deconstruction that we're all going through is there are so many uh, hidden meanings, implied meanings, taught meanings, and so on and so forth that repetition does help because it's like, no, um, this isn't a secret way for people to still be in the club. That's not what we're talking about mm -hmm. um, because then that brings out all the problems of power. and Well, the club is the problem in most cases. Exactly. Yeah. Whether the club was just shitty or the club enabled abuse or the whatever, like the club is the whole problem most of the time. Yeah. And so if you're journeying along with somebody, maybe you're listening to this and you happen to be somebody who's like, you know, Christianity is not for me. Um, Jesus isn't for me. I want you to know that's okay. That's our big tagline. It's okay for, for you not to know, for you to know that's where you are right now, for you to be there for your whole life. That's okay. Um, it's part of the process of living the life that God's given to us and the life that we have. Mm -hmm. So that's certainly okay. But that's not the way everybody goes. In fact, it's probably not the way most people go in the struggle and the work around deconstruction. I would say the next two are, are the ways that most people go. And I've kind of put this into a category called rethinking rethinking faith, rethinking God, rethinking um, church and the ex experience, um, rethinking the spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I honestly think that this started when we were kids, because I don't know if you remember this phrase a lot when we were kids, it was, I'm spiritual, not religious. Yeah. I mean, I still hear that today. Not all the time, but I hear it often enough and like for, you know, because I see plenty of people that that description fits. Okay. Yeah. And I think those are people who are rethinking where they are mm -hmm. um, in terms of their relationship to God, their relationship to the church and their relationship to other people. And that's not what this podcast is doing. We're going to get to ours last, but rethinking means 
uh, it can mean a very a variety of things. It could mean, okay, I'm spiritual, not religious means that I've just chosen not to go to church and explore God in my own way. It could mean uh, I might not like Christianity anymore, so I'm going to look into Buddhism for a while and see what that brings out. I mean, it can. I've encountered everything from it meaning, like you said, I don't really go to church anymore, but I still believe in God, to... Um, I am spiritual, so I like I like engaging in like kind of a buffet sounds bad, but like, you know, I do this from here mm -hmm. and this from there and that's fine. And I met someone who I don't know. I think she had some kind of Christian background, but her for her spiritual, not religious meant she believes in like crystals and positive energy and all that kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it really can be any number of things. I think most of those people that I've met is there's still that connection that they get from spiritual things, whatever those spiritual things are. Um, there's still something it does for them or to them um, that they want, um, that they are looking for, or that it fulfills some kind of need for them. And it, uh, like I said, it can be any number of things, and uh, it seems to help some people a lot. Yeah, you're right. I think that probably what separates, let's say, atheists from the rethinkers is that the atheist will typically, and rethinkers and in, in the last group, we do this all too, but they'll, they'll lean more heavily on um, humanism or humanistic uh, principles such as psychology and history and uh, that to explain the bigger pictures. Philosophy is a big one um, as well. Whereas people who are spiritual will lean more into mystery, and it's not—it's not a clear or, distinction between the two. Atheists will lean into mystery too, right? Like in the—I said—or even mysticism, but like in the, not in the wifty way, but in like well, sometimes, but I more mean in the like mystery kind of, uh, right. transcendence kind of idea, which makes sense in a an enlightenment heavy Western spirituality and Christianity. Mm -hmm to lean more into um, mystery. And I want to hear more about that, but my experience has been, um, now this isn't as strong of a rethinking, but there are quite a few Protestants that lean more into Catholicism because of their emphasis on mystery, on the mystery of God. That's where the Eucharist is. It's very mysterious. Um, and focuses on that. Now, again, that's not a huge, strong example of shifting spirituality because it's still within Christianity and yeah, but for some still people, within structures. But it's a pretty big shift, right? I mean, someone who grew up in my kind of world becoming Catholic is not as big as a shift as them becoming a part of the Baha'i faith, right? But it is a big shift from fundamentalist Pentecostal to any any brand of Catholic, although you know, or Orthodox or whatever. Yeah. And so I think for me, the way I've been kind of putting my mind around what does it mean to rethink one's faith? I think there are two major components, and I'd be curious what, what you think of these or if there's another one. One is the one that you said that there does seem to be a spiritual element to it, that there seems to be um, a, a relationship with a divine or within an extra, well, supernatural, not super as in strong and wonderful, but above the natural realm. Mm -hmm. um, 
and and so then the second correlates with that is there seems to be more of an emphasis on the not knowing on the mystery and just kind of being much more comfortable with <laughs> the fact that they don't know very much or that there's a lot in this world that is unexplainable and uh, even beyond this world that we really don't know. Mm -hmm. Those seem to be the two big ones when it comes to rethinking. Yeah, I think, um, I think the one I would maybe add is that there's a lot of meaning um, in the sense of people are looking for meaning. Um, and I think perhaps some of the a la carte approach to these things is because they, you know, they, they grew up in a world where meaning was very easily found theoretically, right? Like here's the mm -hmm. way we believe, here's what we do, here's how it all works. And for whatever reason, a lot of these people found that it didn't work. It didn't mean it didn't give them, um, or it, it, it explained meaning for some things, but not for others, even though it was presented as kind of like the Rosetta stone for meaning, you know? Um, and so I think they find, you know, there are, there are other rituals or theologies or experiences that give them some kind of meaning that they feel like they were lacking, um, in their previous life or faith identity or whatever you want to call it. Um, like even like for me, like I don't have a lot of experience uh, like with other faiths um, in terms of like attending or participating in them myself. But I know like even when I've gone to like uh, an Orthodox worship service, there were plenty of things where I was like, hmm, I don't know if that's good for me. But there were also plenty of things where I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And I feel like that's been largely missing from my experience. And I can see mm. why people like that so much or or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think I think meaning making is kind of another important part of maybe that's true for all of this. But some people are OK with finding meaning in life or meaning on a smaller scale without uh, a spiritual dimension. And I think some people really need a spiritual dimension for meaning making, whether it's on the, the, the grand scale of meaning in life or more on the meaning right now or meaning experience or whatever it might be. So like we talked about in the last one uh, with atheists, I want to uncover a little bit. Of course, we believe, I'm going to speak for Ryan because I'm sure he thinks this, it's okay to be here. It's okay to be in a place where you're exploring spirituality or you're rethinking your faith. I guess the more interesting question or the more helpful question is, why is it okay to be here? We, we kind of knew a little bit with the atheist why it might be because of it could be trauma related, but it could not be. It could just be that life changes in such a way that somebody decides they don't need um, religion or spirituality anymore. As you mentioned in this conversation, it could be that that's not an element of uh, reality that really resonates with them, the spirituality of life. Um, and all that's okay. But what about folks who are exploring other spiritualities? I think it's probably... Uh, maybe even a little bit harder for most Christians to be okay with Christians exploring other faiths and other spiritualities than abandoning it. I don't know. That might be too controversial of a claim, but it does seem like it'd be really hard for some of us to say that's okay. Well, I know in, you know, growing up, that kind of thing very much was not okay. Like that's how I was taught, right? Like you don't want to get into 
whether it was quote new age or uh <laughs> yeah. you know eastern religion or whatever it was like exploring i bet things. a lot of people got upset when you said crystals is like well, exactly that that's, thing, that's right? the kind of thing where people yep. like, don't ever do that that's bad probably demonic and you know a way that the devil lures people away from truth or whatever yeah and i think that uh that's another one of those things where it's like man i don't know if you should just say that about anything outside of like you know devil worship i suppose you could say that about that yeah right (laughs) (laughs) um but uh i I think for me it's just like man these last years have taught me how much i don't know and i was just so sure about all these things are bad and then i meet people who you know in some cases these things certainly don't seem to be hurting them. And in some cases they seem to be helping them somehow. And in some cases, maybe they aren't the best, but it's just like, it's not up to me to, you know, to decide that sort of thing for other people, as long as people aren't being hurt by them because of whatever it is. Right. Um, It really is up to every person because I have seen things help people that I was told was leading them to sin and death and hell and all that. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, Especially given just how many, there are so many things out there and I'm not trying to say that like, yeah, like we always say, it doesn't mean that everything is awesome (laughs) necessarily, (laughs) but I think again, I think God is big enough to work in ways, different ways for different people. And I think about, um, I think about redemption, not in the sense that God has to change everybody's rituals or beliefs into the, the quote, orthodox Protestant theology, as much as God finds ways of working in so many ways we don't know and for people's good. Right. And so I just think God's not scared. God's not up there being like, Oh gosh, I hope they don't do this. You know, um, (laughs) And I don't even want to put limits on it because I think we all know what the reasonable limits are to that. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I also was thinking, and this is one of those things we have to be careful. Like we were being careful before. Um, And I'll say it like this. All truth is God's truth. Um, That is a bad phrase because sometimes that means that we have the hegemony of truth and that Gosh, we I was, have, I was surprised because I was like, are, are you saying that? But you never mind. Keep going. <laughs> but if we believe what we really be, believe about God, this is from a Christian perspective. If we really believe what we believe about God, that he is the truth and that uh, he is loving. And this is kind of piggybacking off of what you said. Then if there's something that is true, out there, something that is valuable and helpful for people, and maybe it's divine in some way. It doesn't mean that, you know, let's get to the cream of the crop Jesus as quickly as we can in order to get real truth. That's usually how that is said. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, hey, let's let's cut the secondary and tertiary truth and get to the primary truth, which is just so oppressive and terrible. But more importantly, and I think honestly, one of the people who I will criticize very quickly, but C.S. Lewis got this right, where he would say God's bigger than our story of him or the story that he's given to us as Christians. And that's a really hard thing for 
Christians to to get on board with um, because we want to think that we own everything. Right. And if I could just make a practical observation here, let's also remember that how much does it help when you tell someone, don't do that, it's bad, you know, outside of, like I said, outside of things where people are being traumatized or wounded or hurt somehow, the last thing to do is to tell people, hey, this thing that you're doing that you seem to be getting a lot out of, that's really great for you, stop that because it's evil. Well, that's not gonna, I mean, that's just gonna make them do it all the more because humans are like that. I mean, we'd be like that too, right? If someone came to me from another faith and said, hey, that Jesus stuff, that's bad. Stop it. Do this instead. I'd be like, first of all, who are you and why are you talking to me about this? (laughs) Second of all, like, fuck off, right? Like, you know, well, I probably wouldn't say that. That's what I'd be thinking. Um, But uh, you might say it. it depends on the context. You know, there are times when, you know, you've been talking to Mormon missionaries for 50 minutes and it's, you know, then I might. I (laughs) might. It's about time. (laughs) I do like talking to them because they're just so damn polite. You know, I mean, they're so. (laughs) But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I think there's just that practical observation of uh, trying to make people change something so fundamental to their lives that seems to be helping them, at least as far as they see it. The last thing you should do is be like, stop it. Yeah. Because it's, right. I mean, just people are people. It's not going to help. I would continue on by saying maybe that person has something to teach you. Mm that you need to learn right um if they're willing to do that and desiring to do that uh seems to me that we're missing out on an opportunity if somebody's really found something that speaks to them Mm -hmm. then it matters to them and it's much more interesting and helpful and loving to listen to what that is and to if they uh, if they invite you in the journey to walk alongside them as they do that right and i mean like you know i'm not personally super on board with the whole uh crystals positive energy stuff for myself but you know i met someone who who told me about those and i was my first response because i went to seminary and i come from that world was well this is stupid nonsense (laughs) and then i was listening to her talk and one one question i ask myself a lot when i'm working and i meet people is what is this belief whatever it is christian or not uh what is it doing for them And, you know, I realized that for her, positive thinking in whatever that meant, crystals or not, was what was helping her deal with the reality that her mom was dying. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to say, well, don't be positive because that's a terrible idea. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, did I go out and buy some kind of moon crystal or something? No, because it doesn't do that for me. Does it hurt anything if it's helping that person? Well, who am I to say? It seemed to be helping her. So shut up, Ryan. You know? Yeah. Right. What is it doing for this person? And if that is a thing that is helping them, it's hard for me to say, however much I might want to, because I'm a dick. And it's hard for me to say, stop it. That's (laughs) stupid. You know? Plus, when I like I really can't say that. But yeah. yeah. If you want to keep your job. Exactly. Yeah. I like that you said Christian or not, because I think every pastor out there, everybody who's been in the Christian church knows that there are some people hold on to Christian thoughts that are just terrible. I mean, I encounter that all the time. Theology yeah. where it's like, you know, God must be punishing me stuff. And internally, I'm like, it's not. It's, no, it's not. I promise God you're okay, you know. But I've learned really early on that if that's what I say, it doesn't help. I mean, yeah. 
maybe over time they get to the point where they realize that it's maybe not that way. But me telling them God's not punishing you doesn't help hardly ever. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So what I always look for is now I'm not the judge. Of course, I'm not judging whether a behavior or a belief is good or bad. It's in conversation with them and with their community. But if there ever comes a case where that belief is damaging to them, then, you know, it's still, we don't go, don't. It's more, what's this giving you and how can we help, you know, move away from a harmful belief into a helpful one without the judgment of my beliefs are right, you know, helping them explore it. And that's why I think there's value to this, uh, this reaction to deconstruction because it helps us be okay with exploration no matter where it takes us. It might take us to a place that's harmful actually sometimes, and we need other people to help us move away from that. But what we don't need is people saying, you know, what you're believing is leading you to hell and it's really harmful that way. That's, that's not, that's not what we're saying at all. And when it comes to something being harmful, it really depends on one harmful to whom, right? Harmful to them, harmful to others. That's a big difference. It also, um, you know, questions of scope, like how harmful. And then also, am I the right person to bring that up? And a lot of times right. the answer is probably listen, not, no. you know, yeah. <laughs> now with, they might listen to their spouse or parent or child or their own pastor or something like that. But, um, and you know, there may be times when someone who's an outsider can do that in a way that others can't. But I think we just got to be careful and because we always assume because we have, quote, the truth that we yeah. are the ones to uh, arbitrate that for people. And it's like, well, yeah, how's that been working for you? I guess is what I would <laughs> ask, you know, like there's that yeah. classic example. Um, it was in some seminary class that I didn't take, but maybe it wasn't uh, an MDiv level. I don't know. But it was like the if your friend is moving in with. Well, in this case, his girlfriend, because that's where they are um, and they're not married and it's sinful or whatever. Do you help them move in? And they have big debates about this. And yeah, and that it, was at, our, at my seminary. Yeah, seminary yeah. To and and yeah. kind of the idea of like, you should be their friend and tell them it's wrong and all this kind of bullshit. And it's just like, <laughs> you know, this is the classic example of like, uh, they know what you think. So yeah, shut up right. and pick up a box. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's a very small thing in comparison to some yeah. others. But that mindset is the one I'm talking about. Is just like, just shut up and move the boxes. You know? Yeah. Be their friend and go with them from there. And with these yeah. other people and the more serious stuff is asking, well, what is my role here? Um, right. And it may not be to proclaim the truth, <laughs> as you see it, right. so to speak. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, those who are rethinking their faith, those who are rethinking their relationship to God, um, really, it is kind of at the core of what we're doing here, even though it's not explicitly what you're do- we're doing, if that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. the assumption underlying what we are, uh, the the last action, which is we'll get to in just a second. Yeah. Um, but it really is okay not to know. It's really okay to be where you are, yeah. whatever that looks like. Um, as Ryan says at the end, God will take care of us. He loves us just the same. (laughs) And we'll say it again. 
when Paul said nothing, Amen. he meant nothing. Yeah. And also, if I could be somewhat um, annoyed for a minute, you people who do this make my job awfully difficult, okay? <laughs> like, Because I'll call people and say, hey, can I come by and visit? And it's like the armor goes up immediately. Like, what are you going to do? Or um, I get there, they let me visit, and they're like, well, I'm spiritual but not religious. And you can just see like the walls are up and the drawbridge is drawn and yeah, all this because yeah. they think I'm going to do what has happened. And so usually once yep. I talk talk to him it's fine but um you people are making my job hard so quit it <laughs> stop it this was way early on we had this board up we were uh planning strategically what our church was doing and um doesn't matter it'd be too complex to explain it but it had um gay people it was it said gay people on there and somebody came into my office and said um, and I knew this person. She she had lots of gay friends and so forth. So she was in in the gay community somehow. And she said, "Why does it say gay people up there?" And she said it in such a way where her walls were up. She was like, "Oh, if mm-hmm. he says this, I'm going to be devastated because that means I'm going to have to leave this church and I'm going to blah blah blah." Right. I've heard it before so many times. I'm sure. And so, yeah. of course, I said, "Well, that that's <laughs> making us more aware of how the church." or who the church has hurt and how we need to reach out. And it was really amazing because she did, I'm sure what you've seen, which is like, Oh, I didn't expect that answer. And there's, yeah, there's always like a look, they're like flummoxed, but also, so yeah. relieved. <laughs> you know, like sometimes it's just like, wait a minute. I thought that's what you pastor types did. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah, I know that's yeah, the problem. Exactly. You know, uh, that's partly why I'm doing this job instead <laughs> of the other one. Uh, Cause I don't have to do that. Yeah. You know, um, so, yeah, what if yeah. the church was a place where we explored God rather than indoctrinate, indoctrinated into a way of thinking about God? No, can't do that. Then we'll all <sighs> go to hell. Yeah. I mean, I'm being facetious, but honestly, I'm not because that's what I, that's might as well have been what right? I was told. Yeah. Growing and up, really, that is the know. thing. Like, there's that whole five whys. If you ask people why long enough in the church, you'll get to hell. That's why they yeah, do things. Right. What a lovely group of people. Sign me <laughs> up. You know, like, I don't even mean that, like, the people are necessarily bad, but right. it's like I'm trying to put myself in the other person's perspective sometimes. And I'm thinking, this person I don't know came up to me and told me that I'm going to burn forever. Um, when as far as I know, I'm doing an okay job. Yeah. And then they're like, come spend more time with me. And I'm like, uh, I think I have a dentist appointment that I'd rather go to. You know, it's just it's, people are, this whole thing is just yeah. weird. It's just weird. And that's actually kind of a good segue into the last thing that we're going to talk about today. It's actually where Ryan and I find ourselves probably more often than not. Sometimes we're in the rethinking phase of things. And frankly, sometimes we are in the quote unquote atheist or, or, or dismissing theology. But uh, the final way is reclaiming, reclaiming faith, reclaiming theology. Uh, This is actually fundamentally what deconstruction was meant to get to, which was the image that I used in the the postmodernism discussion, uh, the barnacles on the ship. It's kind of getting away from that, that load that we've taken on and seeing what's there in a brand new way, in an interesting way. And uh, there are quite a few people who deconstruct that lead to a reclamation of 
theology, which means that we shed very important pieces that we talk about here a lot. We shed the power dynamics, or we try to. We shed the uh, negative, um, well, this is all power, but the abuse and so forth that comes with that, the manipulation that comes with that, the hell, frankly, that comes with that, that gets shed quite a bit. Yeah, I threw that shit out the window. (laughs) And we find ourselves trying to get, as Christians, trying to really focus more on what Jesus tells us and interpreting everything around that rather than trying to put a whole system together that makes sense for us because that's kind of where we've always been. And so Mm -hmm. reclamation for most Christians starts with Jesus and then moves out from him and his words as opposed to putting him within a system that makes sense for the entire scripture and, and beyond. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, I think so. And I think even, uh, um, like, I think hell's a good example of like, for me, I don't believe in a literal hell anymore or even really a metaphorical one, but I just, I don't believe in hell anymore, but I do think sometimes about, why do people want one so much? Like, what is it, again, what is it doing for them? And and what's usually the case is it seems to answer people's desire for what they believe is justice. Like, I remember I had someone one time, I said something about, I don't really believe in hell. And she's like, well, there has to be a hell because the bad people need to go somewhere. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's kind of funny in a, in a glib sort of way, but it's also like, ah, so it's not like what is hell doing? The belief in hell for this person is is answering the fact that the world is yeah, not just yeah. and that this right. kind of happens. And so for me, the process of reclaiming it is, okay, so how do we address the injustice and, and what kinds of things actually provide that if it's not burning in a lake of fire for eternity, right? And I haven't figured that out yeah. necessarily. I have some, but I just mean, that's like a good example for me of, it's really re-examining a lot of the assumptions and underlying stuff, at least as much as you can do that. And then, you know, you, some things you jettison and some things you sculpt and some things you burn down. I don't know, but I, it's just all of it is not so that you can have a riot and, you know, destroy things. It's more so you can find the stuff that you want to be there that that is good and should be there. Um kind of scraping off, like you said, all the barnacles that were piled on there by all the, many of the people <laughs> yeah. in our lives and churches and culture growing up. Yeah. Another image is a scaffolding around a statue. And I like that too, because it shows that what we're really trying to do when we reclaim faith is see Jesus more clearly. There's just mm-hmm. so much scaffolding right. around him that, you know, and of course it's all metaphoric, but we're we're trying to move that stuff out of the way so we can see him more clearly and um, uh, live it. I almost think like bask in his presence. That sounds really churchy. I don't like that so much, but just like enjoy being with him because think about laying by the pool, <laughs> but, but you know, but it's God, you know, like just being like that, that close. Yeah. So we talk a lot about reclaiming theology. Um, I know this is like a standard for a lot of Christian podcasts like ours um, that are Mm -hmm. kind of popular and much bigger than us. Uh, So I don't want to dive too much into why this is okay, because um, (laughs) it's probably the easiest one for most people to think is okay, because it's reclaiming 
Jesus and so forth. I'm more interested in asking the question and, and going back and forth of why we are particularly us, why we are in this category. Why do we identify ourselves as people reclaiming theology? Why do you pursue a reclamation project in your own faith life? Despite all of the honestly bad shit that's happened to me in my faith life in church, um, especially in church, for me, I still haven't ever felt like I wanted to let go of Jesus. Like there's something about Jesus that not just works for me, although that too, but like there is um, there is a relationship or a connection or some kind of word like that that still is very real for me and one that I don't want to lose, one that I don't want to get rid of. Um, though I think I came close a few times, but not in the sense of like, I almost lost my faith as much as there were times where I almost said, this really isn't worth it, you know? And I like to think that God didn't let me go <laughs> during those times. But I think because of that, because of this fact that I still feel that connection to Christ, partly philosophically, because I love what he did and taught, but more than that, like this connection in terms of um, having some sort of relationship with him, uh, in a divine and human sense. Like, I mean, like, like he's God, but he's also my friend kind of thing. Um, to me, that makes it worth trying to tear the scaffolding down or, you know, whatever. Um, Jesus is worth it to me. And like when my brother and his wife went to, um, london and they went to see big ben and westminster mm -hmm. you know it's all attached and they were they're restoring big ben right now so you couldn't oh, okay. see most of it because you know it was covered in scaffolding and all of this and i think it's a shame because it's pretty yeah. damn cool you know like it's one of the things you see if you're a tourist in 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 the uk and and so um i think about it that way of like how much Jesus has done for me and why Jesus is important to me in my life. And none of that has changed. And I do want other people to see that whether they ever become quote, become a Christian or not. Like there's so much good in Jesus. There's so much that I want people to know that. And in whatever small part I can play in whatever way that my story is part of that, it's like, yeah, I, you know, if Jesus was like you were taught, I'm with you. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not been my experience of Jesus, even if that's been my experience of church and faith and Christianity, um, big C Christianity, mm -hmm. you know, like as a whole. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it's worth it. It's worth going through the reclamation process. It's worth I mean, I kind of wish I could have done it a little easier, but I, yeah. I don't know if that would have happened, right? Like there's something about the struggle and the um, growth that happened because of it that, you know, it sucked, but it also is part of who I am and where I am and all of that. So I, I think it's worth it for me. Um, it's brought a lot of meaning. It's brought a lot of um, healing. It really has. Like, I think it's for me, it's been, I think, crucial to not throwing all of this out the window and being like, 
you can have Jesus because if that's what he's like, I don't want him. <laughs> you know, actually, I do say that, but um, <laughs> yeah. you know, my because of my thought is that because that's not the Jesus I know. Hmm. I like that. Not the Jesus you know. It's the Jesus I was told I knew, <laughs> but it's not the G. Like I think about my own life. Whenever I felt like I've actually really experienced God in some way. Or when it, you know, you have those moments where sometimes it feels like God really did something mm -hmm. for you tangible. And it's like, those have always only ever been good things. And yet I was told my experience of God or, or Jesus or whatever was always one that was bad, that showed that I was bad, that, that meant I was on my way to hell. And it's like, that's just fucking yeah. bullshit. <laughs> you know, that's not how it's really been. And I wish it hadn't been my experience of it for so long so yeah anyway there you go you asked the question <laughs> there's my answer now what's your answer why why do you reclaim rather than you know any yeah. of the other things um, so i'm going to use a metaphor that might not apply might not make sense to a lot of people but i think it will um when i was a kid you know we played hide and seek a lot because uh that's what you do as your kids Although my kids don't do it very much. I don't know why, but we did it. My brother would leave me hiding <laughs> yeah. and never come look for me, so we didn't play it. I think that's long. what brothers do. <laughs> we did that too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. actually, one of the stories I have about hide and seek, well, the only story I have is that kind of experience. I hid myself underneath, so my, my mom would do laundry and pile it all up. Um, and one of the ways I thought would be really clever is I'll get under the dirty laundry and just stay there. <laughs> Ryan's making a face. <laughs> Gross. And that pile of laundry was really heavy. And I didn't realize it when I got underneath it. Of course, it stank and it was not in a good experience. But I, I've made a huge <laughs> yeah, mistake. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> and I couldn't really get out. Um, it mm. took me pulling out little pieces here and there until I could, you know, tunnel my way out. And the feeling that I had when I got free of that was just amazing. It was, you know, of course, it's mm. all physical. It was a little mental, too, because I was kind of panicking a little bit. But the feeling of getting un out underneath that weight was just amazing. And I have had that experience emotionally and spiritually more since I've been on this process of deconstruction and it's always been in the reclaiming uh, category, if you will, as I'm trying to find the real Jesus or Jesus that I see in scripture rather. And when I get close to, to that in my own brain, not in judgment of anyone else, but just in my own brain and my own faith, that relief that comes when it's like, oh, this is what Jesus is really like, oh, or this is really what God is saying in this passage, or, oh, this is what he's really doing um, when he's talking or Paul or whatever. So often for me, this is not like, this is what Jesus is okay. like, you know, like all those things don't, you know, like, no, those, those aren't yeah. true. I've just had that relief more often than not. Um and it's just been such a great feeling. It's been a great joy. And that's on top of what Ryan said. I've had the same kind of convincing experiences that God really does love me and takes care of me. 
um, even when it feels like he's not. Of course, in the experience, I don't feel that. But as I look back and I think about things and I watch what has happened in my life and how that experience was unfolding, I can see God. Um, and I can see uh, God's Spirit working in ways that I couldn't possibly imagine. And I've had those special experiences where it's like, seems like God's talking directly to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And they've never been bad. The bad experiences I have mm-hmm. come from myself. That's where they, or from other people, of course, but right, that's where right. it comes from. God seems to be really trying in my own experience, in my own faith life, to correct my own self-talk, my own baggage, what I'm telling myself about myself. God seems to be speaking into that and saying, uh, that's not who I said you were. I've never said that. Mm-hmm. In fact, Jesus never said all those things that people have told you he said. Uh, and neither is Paul, by the way, most of the time. Or, oh, honey, that's not what <laughs> Yeah, <it meant>. exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so uh, it's the same kind of thing that you said. It seems like I just can't get away from Jesus. Um And I'm a contrarian, as anybody who's heard me for five minutes knows. And it'd be very easy for me to just leave the the faith in my own personality. It just, that would be an easy thing to do because it'd be cool. It'd be whatever phase of life I was in, cool or necessary or whatever. But for those critical moments in my life, when looking back, I'm like, I don't know which one of these four, if you will, ways I'm going to go, God meets me and says, hey, you're amazing. I love you. You don't need to worry about that. Do what you want to do. Do what helps you and helps others. And that's been great. And that feeling of when I do what I want, which is to, you know, speak against the systems and the doctrines and the theologies and just the freedom that that gives and the feeling that comes from it of being out under the laundry uh, laundry pile. It's been great. Well, and you know, you should see the the relief that some people get <clears throat> when, whether it's us or somebody else, or they've heard some podcast or they, whatever. And the relief people have when some of this weight is taken yeah. off of them, you know, it's just like, Oh my gosh. Like, like, it's like we've been, go- a lot of us have been going around with a 20 pound backpack and, six suitcases three in each hand and you know and someone came along and said no you don't need that and you don't need that and you don't need that and and we're like hey i can actually (laughs) walk and i'm not gonna have like arthritis when i'm 28 and you know this kind of stuff and um you know jesus said what was it my my uh burden Mm -hmm. is light or my what is that you know the the part where he says is light easy Easy, right and my burden Mm -hmm. is light that kind of thing it's like, what if that actually right. meant what it said? Mm, I know. There's there's us saying yeah. taking Jesus seriously again. Crazy people. But not... it's another one of those, take it up with Jesus. They're not my words. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um Yeah. So And I think yeah. you'll find most people who are in the reclaiming will have a similar story. It's just I think from a Christian perspective, it's just something about Jesus, something about what he says, how he lives, how he works. Yes, how he dies and rises again, too. 
Um, there's just something very magnetic about him. There's something very relieving and freeing about him. And um, I like, I'll, I'll finish with Ryan's word. Because of that, all the struggle is worth it because hmm. more people need to have the same experience. More people need to know that they are loved utterly and completely no matter what. And the more that we're able to show that to people or the more that they're able to see that uh, because they're not looking at the scaffolding, instead they're looking straight at Jesus, I think the better the world is. Yeah. I mean, I've heard my fair share of sermons on um, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, mm -hmm. right? It's like, all right, fuckers, I'm going to take you seriously. What if that actually means what it says, right? Like, what if they're really, what if the spirit really brings freedom to us? Like, like, you know, the yeah. Bible says, which is what you told me is what all is the be all end all. So, okay, fine. I'm going to take you at your word too and say, all right, you know, like, I'm going to lean into that because I think that that has really been my experience of yeah. God when I've not been piled down under 75,000 pounds of baggage or dirty laundry or yeah. what have you, you know, that was never my experience, but you said people might not get that. That's a perfect. Is metaphor. it? Okay, good. <laughs> I, yeah, I was just like, yeah, it's like you started saying, I was like, oh yeah, definitely that fits because I think we've all felt like that yeah. often. I, I hope that that was helpful looking at the different ways people react to deconstruction. I know that the philosophy can get kind of heavy sometimes. I love it. And I love talking about what deconstruction really is. Uh, but I have noticed in the um, ex-evangelical movement, the ex-Christian, ex-Lutheran, ex-whatever, that um, this is happening all over the place. And there is some ambiguity to what all that means. And this is my way of thinking through, okay, what are the things that we do as we deconstruct? What are the decisions we're making implicitly or explicitly? And my hope is that as you heard this today, maybe that gave you clarity, some of the decisions that you've made. Maybe it'll allow you to be more intentional and for what it's worth, two white guys in the Midwest give you permission to do it. Um, and wherever that takes you, we want to be there alongside with you. And so that's my hope for today, that it's been helpful and clarifying and even motivating you to, to make some decisions for your own faith life. If you find it helpful, I will even write you a doctor's note just saying <laughs> I can do that. You know, I don't know who you'd give it to, but if you find it helpful. I'm Did anybody give you a prescription you. pad? I've heard that's a gag gift. <laughs> well, I made one for myself, but it's not like for medicine <laughs> because you get in trouble for yeah, that right. like a lot, I think. And I don't want to go to prison ever. Um, but I guess I would just say on that note, um, yeah, I think we really mean it when we say it's okay not to know it's you know it's it, it is okay to walk different directions or explore other things or um listen to what god is saying to you now as opposed to what you thought or have been told like it's all okay and yeah i hope that that brings some relief to some people um yeah, I think we can really trust God. I know that's hard to do. And I don't even say that facetiously. It is hard to do. Mm -hmm. I admit it. Like, I often struggle with the, yeah, but what if this time God doesn't? <laughs> so don't feel bad if that's you too, because that's just how it is. And, and God will 
take care of us and prove himself again. Not because God has to. I think God just likes to. You know, God loves us. So anyway, if you have thoughts on this or anything else, or if you'd like one of those doctor's notes, send us an email at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. And, um, you know, if you can give us a rating, like a good rating on whatever podcast app you use. And if you write us a review, that really helps us just because it helps other people see it. Um, we're almost ready to launch our ad blitz, you know, where we're going to spend a whole bunch of money on that. But until then, uh, more reviews would really help. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We appreciate you. And yeah, it really is okay. And I think it's going to be okay. And God will take care of us, crystals or not. 